Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today I am speaking to author and poet Jen Campbell, who joins us from London. I first came across Jen in 2014 when she published the Bookshop Book, which is a real celebration of the stories behind many of the world's finest bookshops. Jen spent 10 years working as a bookseller, which qualified her to write another book called Weird Things Customers Say in Bookstores. Jen has branched out into children's picture books in the last couple of years. Franklin's Flying Bookshop is a book about a very bookish fire-breathing dragon and his friend Luna, and that has been followed by two more Franklin and Luna picture books. The Beginning of the World in the Middle of the Night is Jen's collection of short stories. And then there is poetry too. She released The Girl Aquarium earlier this year to ensure a presence in a third genre. And then there are Jen's YouTube book reviews, her podcast and her writing workshops. So welcome Jen. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. All right, first question. Poet, non-fiction author, short story writer, children's picture book author, video maker, podcaster. When you're introduced to someone, how would you describe yourself? That's an interesting question. It's hard, isn't it? But I actually think I do do lots of different things, but all of them relate to books. So I tend to tell people that I do books (laughs) because that covers pretty much everything. But yes, um, I um, will add to that by saying I'm an author and book reviewer because that also covers most things. Or would it be fair to say that books then have been the central theme of your life? I would say so, yes. Uh, And this leads us into a bit of a story time, which may sound a little bit depressing, but I promise it's not depressing and it has a happy ending. But I spent a lot of time when I was a child in hospital. I was born with a very strange, rare condition called EEC syndrome, which... Um, is extradactyly ectodermal dysplasia clefting syndrome which as well as being a mouthful uh, means that I was born with syndactyly which is where your fingers are all joined together all your um, bones and skin are fused together and extradactyly which is where you're missing fingers so I spent a lot of time in hospital where doctors basically crafted hands for me and um, I read a lot of books consequently by being in hospital and listened to loads of audiobooks. I was obsessed with um, you could buy packs of books as a duo so a physical book that would also come with an audio cassette and I was forbidden by my parents from listening to the audio cassette until I had read the physical book so that was my challenge to myself that I would do that and I just fell in love with stories so much they were a way to well imagine a place that was not the hospital bed that I was in and I vowed to myself that when I grew up I would do work that involved telling those stories and um, apart from when I was seven when I wanted to be a lollipop lady um, which I may still do one of these days but yeah no books have been the thing that I wanted to be involved with um, since I was since I was tiny so I need to explain what a lollipop lady is to all oh, yeah, people. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you know what it is. A lollipop lady is a person in a bright jacket who helps children cross the road, usually in front of schools on crossings. Um, that is correct. It's not as exciting as it sounds, is it? It sounds like it should have something to do with sweets and candy, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but back to your story. Mm-hmm. So um, forgive me for asking, but 
I presume that turning the page yes. was was a challenge for you as a child. Um, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it probably was at one point, but I don't remember that being true. Um, but I'm sure it will have been true. But you know what children are like. You make the most of what you have, right? You're resilient and you just get on with it. I think it would be stranger for an adult to then have to cope with that if they had an accent, for example. But if you're always, you've always had hands that are like that, then you do the best that you can. But definitely it was difficult for me to, or more difficult than for other people, to learn how to write and hold a pen. Um, and uh, doctors didn't know how much I would be able to do. Um, but I don't like being told that I can't do things. <laughs> so I worked very hard at holding a pen and then even decided to learn the piano just to, I don't know, really be extra stubborn. So I, so I did that for a while too. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that things were more difficult um, but that's not the thing that I remember most which is which is nice in a way. So for those days weeks in in hospital mm. are there particular books that or memories of reading particular books that stand out to you now? Ooh, uh, I loved all Roald Dahl books all of them um, the twits used to terrify me, as did the witches. I used to have an audio cassette of the witches and I had to fast forward through the music at the beginning because I found it so outrageously terrifying. Um, and Matilda, obviously every book, young book lover loves Matilda. Um, and Judith Carr, her book When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit was and still is a favorite of mine. And I also, which I remembered recently after writing Franklin's Fine Bookshop, remember loving a book called Green Smoke by Rosemary Manning, which was about a young girl called Susan who used to go on holiday to Cornwall, and she found a dragon who lived in a cave uh, who used to work for King Arthur, and he would tell her lots of stories of working with King Arthur, so those are books I loved, and Ballet Shoes and Carrie's War, lots of books, yes. Right, okay. So you had uh, 10 years as a bookseller. I did. Um, where did you sell books and with whom and how was that experience? Well, I so I grew up by Sunderland, which is in the northeast of England, by the sea. And we didn't have many independent bookshops there. And then I went to Edinburgh University to do a degree in English literature and there was a small independent bookshop around the corner from where I lived called the Edinburgh Bookshop. And it seemed prudent to try and earn money in a place where I spent money. So I decided to get a job as a bookseller when I was still a student um, to um, earn me some money. So I got a job there and worked there for um, two and a half years, I think it was. And it was primarily a children's bookshop. And we had right. a bookshop dog called Tiger, who was a Leonberger, so a huge, huge dog. And we used to tell the kids that she was Nana from Peter Pan and they believed us. So that was really fun and it was a it was a new independent bookshop. And then after I graduated, I moved down to London and got a job working in an antiquarian bookshop, which is not as one customer once thought a bookshop that only sells books about fish, but is in fact a bookshop that sells very old books. So it was still book selling, but it was very different. And um, again, it was primarily children's, but we sold pretty much everything. The place looked like it was held up by magic because it was just one of those bookshops that was full to the brim of as many books as you can imagine um yes it was it was a really lovely time i enjoyed it which shop was it in london it was called ripping yarns bookshop 
Okay, I've heard of it, yeah. yeah. Is it in Greenwich? Uh, no, it's not. It's uh, It was no. at Highgate Tube Station and was owned okay. by uh, Celia Mitchell. And it was called Ripping Yarns because it was opened by Michael Palin and John Cleese and they had a TV show of the same name. Okay, I mm. I can just about remember Ripping Yarns. Mm. Okay, so all of those years in bookshops um, resulted in one of your books, uh, Weird Things Customers Say in Bookstores. And what was the weirdest thing you ever overheard in a bookshop? Um, I'm not sure what the weirdest thing was, but my favourite genre, if we can call it that, of weird things were the things that children used to say, because they were my favourite part of the job. And once um, a young girl asked me if she could get to Narnia through one of the bookcases, and I had to explain that I was very sorry, but the bookcase didn't work for getting to Narnia. And she sighed and looked wise beyond her years and said, that's okay. Our wardrobe at home doesn't work for getting to Narnia either. Dad says it's because Mum bought it at Ikea. And I just love that idea that Swedes are deliberately selling non-magical furniture to annoy everybody. <laughs> While some other retailer is selling a magical wardrobe. Yes, exactly. If anyone knows who that is, please do tell me because I would like to buy one. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Um, so while you were working handling all of those books, were you thinking, well, one day I could be an author uh, instead of selling other people's books, I could be selling mine? I was still a bookseller when I became a published author, but I was certainly thinking that from the first day, you know, I was thinking that as a customer in a bookshop before that, that one day I hoped I would see my book on those shelves. Um, so my first book was published in 2012. Um, so I'd been a bookseller for a few years. And um, yeah, it was it was lovely to add my book to the collection within the store. And whenever I saw it, I, I had to check that I hadn't, you know, you know, obviously I put it there in the bookshop that I worked in, but when I saw it in other people's bookshops, I had to just check that I hadn't put it there by accident. It took a while to get used to seeing my books on shelves but it's definitely a lovely thing and I don't think it's um, anything that really it's not a feeling that ever fades I still get excited like a kid when I see it so you actually placed your own book on the shelves in the shop you were working yes yes I did um, that must have been a magical feeling it was a magical feeling but also a slightly terrifying feeling because the book was weird things customers say in bookshops and I <laughs> was worried that that uh, I don't know that customer might recognise themselves within the pages but I think actually um, well it, it never did happen and it's probably not surprising because I think when we are saying things that are you know perhaps not the most sensible and I'm guilty of doing that too we're often not aware that we're doing it so no customer never uh, noticed that they were in it which is which is good because that that might have been awkward <laughs> so you've been on a journey since then and now you've been involved in producing um, picture books children's picture books how did you find the process of working with an illustrator I, I believe you work with a lady called Katie Harnett how did you find that I do. Um, it's been really, really fun because obviously I've, with my other books I'd never worked with an illustrator before. Um, Weird Things Custom Same Bookshops has small illustrations in which are done by Greg McLeod who's great. Um, but that was something that was done um, well after the book had been finished and obviously they're, they're not full page illustrations like Katie's are for Franklin's Fine Bookshop so it's a different process. Um, writing Franklin's Fine Bookshop was really wonderful. Poetry is the thing that I've written the longest. Um, I've written that since I was eight 
and Franklin's Flying Bookshop those books are essentially poetry so each one is a long form poem very different to the poetry I write for grown-ups but still poetry nonetheless so I wrote Franklin's Flying Bookshop when I was on tour with the bookshop book which as you mentioned is the book that I wrote about bookshops all around the world um, and I was staying with Kate and Nash who own Much Ado Books in Sussex and they're a really they're really lovely booksellers and I was staying with them and toying with this idea of writing a picture book about a book loving dragon because uh, a young boy a customer of ours who once said to me that I should get a dragon to guard the bookshop when I wasn't there because he knew I went away on um, book tour quite a lot obviously someone else was running the bookshop when I wasn't there uh, and I because I'm a boring adult said to him but wouldn't he wouldn't that be a fire hazard wouldn't he burn down all the books and the boy looked at me exasperated and said well no because you get a trained one I thought oh yes of course you do um so I was writing this long form poem about a book loving dragon called Franklin and had completed the text of it and um, gave it to my agent to have a look at and he started submitting to publishers one of which was Thames and Hudson who are the people who publish the book and I had the most lovely meeting with them normally when you write a book and you go and talk to a publisher about it you know they want to talk about the book but also they want to say okay you've written this book it's great let's talk about how we make money but Roger who was the commissioning editor at Thames and Hudson just sat down and said aren't dragons wonderful and then we just had a meeting talking about how great dragons were and I thought he was brilliant so that was why we decided to go with them in the end because he was just so um, I don't know childlike in his love for it but obviously in a very professional way too so he said um, I should go away and try and find an illustrator and he would also go away and have a think and if there was someone that he knew on the scene he would contact me and I discovered Katie Harnett's work in the Bologna catalogue so the Bologna book fair is the biggest children's book fair that happens every year in Bologna um, and they do an up-and-coming section of the fair. I think it's 50 illustrators that they want to highlight who have maybe just graduated or are, uh, haven't you know, taken a course but are up-and-coming doing great work and Katie was one of those. So I saw some of her illustration and just loved the nostalgic feel of her illustrations. There's something very old school about them and comforting. And um, I got in touch with her and asked if we could have a meeting. So we had a meeting and got on and she did a sample illustration of Franklin and Luna and I just fell in love with it. So we then signed a contract with Thames and Hudson together. So whilst I wrote the first book essentially on my own and then Katie came along and illustrated it and then we you know, tweaked the text a bit because um, you don't want to say the same things in the text and the illustrations, they have to be slightly different and some things perhaps translated better in illustration form so therefore we remove things from the text. Um, so whilst it was it, the first book was very different, the second one became um, I suppose more collaborative. I was still writing the text on my own and then giving it to Katie to illustrate but I knew, could picture in my head the kind of things that she was going to draw and I found that it pro made the process so much easier and was um, really wonderful and now that the books are out, the third one's coming out in September, we do events together, we go to schools together and it's just been really lovely to have a, you know, a, someone on my team who's doing things with me because writing can be a lonely business really so it's nice. So you're not the only creative person to be very interested in dragons. No, I don't think They so. are everywhere. <laughs> yes. But with good reason. Why are you so interested in dragons? Oh, well, as I mentioned earlier, I read that book Greensmoke when I was younger, which I'm sure had some influence on 
um, you know, subconsciously. Um, also, I thought, because I was trying to work out, because people have asked me lots, you know, where is the inspiration for Frankenstein Bookshop? And there was that boy in the shop. There was Green Smoke. And I remembered a really bad film I watched in the 90s, uh, Loch Ness, with, um, what's his name, Ted Danson? Yes? That's I think I vaguely remember it. Yes. And, um, and he comes over from uh, America to Scotland to try and find the Loch Ness Monster. And this is very... Uh, fierce young Scottish girl who's friends with the Loch Ness Monster and doesn't want him to find out about it and I wonder if subconsciously that uh, came into it somewhere too but I think dragons have always been historically linked with knowledge and books and um, yeah I, I, I don't know but I have a bit of a soft spot for them and um, I think because I say this like it's a scientific fact they, they live for so long I feel like they live for so long um, it just it makes them interesting and timeless in a way yeah i think a lot of people always associate with the dragon in in the hobbit but mm. i i always think of the dragon in um the voyage of the dawn treader oh, yeah. um uh, where eustace is turned into a dragon and i read those books very young and that was really the first dragons i the first dragon i came across and then i realized there was many of them after that yeah. but yeah they they are everywhere, aren't they? They are. Perhaps not as much as unicorns at the moment. But dragons certainly have been knocking around for a very long time. And I'm just wondering, if you are Luna, if who, I the, am Luna. the little girl who befriend, befriends a dragon? Um, I think that's difficult. I think probably there's a little bit of me and Luna, but I think there's a little bit of me and Franklin too, to be honest. Um, I think when we're writing writers are at some level always trying to um better understand better understand themselves and we're going to place ourselves in characters whether we mean to or not um but yes luna as um someone who reads a lot and is quite determined i'm sure is a little bit of me but the main message of franklin's fine bookshop is um spreading of empathy through reading um franklin he loves books very much and he wants to share them with as many people as he possibly can um, but whenever he leaves the house everyone runs away because they're scared of him and all he wants to do is share stories um, and when he meets Luna she's not scared of Franklin because she's read all about dragons and books and the pair of them decide to hatch a plan and open a bookshop on Franklin's back and take it to the villagers and share their love of books so whilst the book is it is about a dragon and it is about friendship its main message is acceptance and not judging people based on the way that they look. Um, and that's something that I discuss a lot when I go into schools and talk with kids. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a bit of me in both Franklin and in Luna too because of the message of, like, you know, not judging people based on the way they look. Yeah. It's a lovely book. I, My children are teenagers now, so I, I couldn't test it on them. <laughs> but if they had been little, I, I, I'm sure I would have read it to them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm biased and also uh, I buy children's books myself and claim that it's research. But I think children's picture books can be for everybody. So um, I like hearing that adults enjoy it too. So I'm glad that you enjoyed the book. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think they have to resonate with the, the adult reader um, because there's often repetitions. It's like read this every day for the next two weeks until they're sated. Exactly, um, exactly. So you have to appeal to the buyers too. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Um, 
Okay, so what is next for you? Uh, you do so many different things. What, what's your next project going to be? Um, well, my poetry collection for Grown Ups Girl Aquarium came out last month, so at the moment I'm doing quite a few events for that. Um, then Franklin and Luna and the Book of Fairy Tales is coming out in September. So I'll be back on the road with that then. Um, in the meantime, I run a book club for Toast. As you said, I make YouTube videos on my YouTube channel and run a podcast where I talk with authors as well. But writing-wise, um, I've just finished writing a new picture book, which isn't a Franklin and Luna picture book. It's something entirely new. Um, so I'll be working on that in the coming months and um, probably years because these things take a while. And then after that, I'm not sure. I... I'm not sure. I have been writing um, a novel aimed at grown-ups and that's something I would definitely like to focus on as well. But um, also I've been toying with the idea of writing a middle grade novel as well. So for children aged 8 to 11 because a lot of the work that I do in schools teaching poetry is for that age group. And I find them such a joy and so engaging and full of amazing ideas. So um, I think I might like to write something for them too. So I'm not sure. Lots of bookish things. Okay. And I'm sure it will be fun. So you've mentioned fairy tales a few times, mm. and I really felt fairy tales coming through in your collection of short stories. Mm. Fairy tales are one of your passions, is that correct? They are, yes. I am fascinated in storytelling as a whole and the things that we collectively choose to romanticize and pass on. Um, and I'm really interested in the history of fairy tales how we come to know the ones that we know now, the ones that are ingrained in our cultures, the ones that we think we know inside out, but actually have been changed quite a lot, not just by Disney, but also prior to that. Like the Grimm's were great revisionists in the 1800s. They changed fairy tales and made them more, I'm using inverted commas here, suitable for children. Before that, fairy tales were aimed primarily at adults and they were, um, not the ones that we know today and I'm very interested in um, bodily difference, disfigurement, disability and how that's translated into fairy tales. For instance, um, Beauty and the Beast is thought to have been inspired, we'll never know because the history of fairy tales themselves are quite mythic, but thought to have been inspired by a real life person called Petrus Gonsalves who was born in the 1500s who had hypertrichosis which is where you're born with hair all over your body um, and he was sent to the court of France and then passed on to uh, Margaret of Parma who decided to marry him off to someone that she didn't like um, called Lady Catherine and she staged this wedding um, which she thought was hilarious but actually the last laugh was on her because um, Petrus Gonzalez and Lady Catherine fell in love and they had a long marriage and they had seven children together and that's thought to have been one of the inspirations for Beauty and the Beast um, but obviously in the tale of Beauty and the Beast which was um, written down later um, there is that redemption element at the end that we still have now that he um, is turned into a beast initially because he um, disobeys a fairy and then at the end is turned back into a human because he has in inverted commas again become good again and right. I'm very interested in that relationship between goodness and beauty which is so prevalent in fairy tales and breaking down um, breaking all that down and looking at it closely so yes history of fairy tales is something I like to geek out about quite a lot yes it's a reoccurring theme when when Cinderella gets scrubbed up she comes up like a princess mm. 
yeah yeah exactly and it, it's, it's still so ingrained in uh culture today and society like that in a way perhaps that you wouldn't notice unless you were looking for it if you think about all james bond villains for instance they've mostly got you know facial disfigurements it's a marker for evil and badness um which is quite problematic and something that i think we need to look at yes so one final question which we ask all our guests and it is what book or books which is often the case are you reading now what books am I reading now? I am currently reading No Other World by Raw Meta, um, and I've only just started reading it, so I can't tell you too much about it, um, apart from it's about a 12-year-old boy called Kieran Shah, who is the American-born son of Indian immigrants, and it's a bit of a family saga. I'm hoping that it's going to be like A Place for Us by Fatima Farhin Mirza, which was my favorite book of last year, but we will have to wait and see. And I've also just finished reading all of the Women's Prize for Fiction shortlist as well, um, because as we're recording this, the winner is announced tomorrow. So I needed to read all the shortlist before that happened. You've read the whole list? Uh, all the shortlist, not the long list, but I have read all of the short six right. shortlisted books, yes. So you were a judge? No, I'm not a judge for the Women's Prize, but I have I did review all of the short right. books for the for Toast magazine. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, that's all we have time for this week. I want to give a huge thank you to Jen Campbell for joining us. You can learn more about Jen and her books and her writing and her other her other projects at jen-campbell.co.uk jen-campbell.co.uk thank you for listening thank you jen and we'll see you again soon thank you